Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Smart, and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is August 29th, 2023, and today we're joined by a special guest, Haley Gonzalez. Would you like to say hi, Haley? Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. As always, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. Also, none of uh, Haley's opinions reflect those of her employer, and everything I've said applies to her. None of this is advice. We don't know you. Talk to your own professional. Maybe call Haley. She might be able to help. Who knows? I don't know. From there, Fabian, how are you? Good. Why don't I get a disclosure? What about my opinions? Your opinions are are good, but they probably they don't won't matter. Get you sued. Are you, you going to say that they, they don't probably, matter? They, I didn't say that. Your opinions are always validated and heard. At the same time, though, I don't think you have a regulatory regulatory framework that would come down and squash you like a little ant. Correct. We do. We do, and it's fun. It's great. Zero stress involved with that. <laughs> um, but this episode is not about your opinions, Fabian. It's really about all the questions you ask me all the time. <laughs> you could be doing certain tax strategies to which I apply. Shouldn't you be talking to your advisor about this? Well, um, I know that they annoy you because you just don't <laughs> respond and I send you tons of them. It's like the fact that I get more of a response when I send you something about wine than when I do about these types of situations is kind of alarming. <laughs> well, because it's, it's really nuanced and that's why I brought Haley in. So before we ramble too much, Haley, would you like to introduce yourself more than uh, my poor introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm Haley Gonzalez. I am a shareholder over at Sukup Bush and Associates. We're based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I've been here about 10 years, specialized in high net worth individual taxation, escort, flow through family entities, really. Um, love working in real estate, um, as well as, you know, we kind of have clients in all industries. But, you know, a lot of my clients are, are younger, starting their companies, trying to figure out a lot of these strategies of how they can save money, don't like paying tax. And uh, I try to be here to guide them in the right direction. It's pretty much Fabian. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll talk after this. Do you work with people from out of state? She does. (laughs) She does. Do you need a really good CP? I made the referral. Don't forget. Okay. Um, We're going to start with one. I think that we'll get your gears going and then we're going to hit the one that I know you really want to ask. Yeah. This is going to be good. So, the one that I get all the time, and then I'm surprised Fabian hasn't asked me this one actually, is you go into the Tiki Talk, oh, and gosh. they're always like, which is the, the worst place in the world for any type of nuanced financial advice, especially tax advice. I've gotten in a lot of arguments on TikTok with people <laughs> you who win them? know more than me. Yeah. <laughs> you win? Okay, good. Yeah. I've never won an argument on the internet. I was no, just curious. I don't know that I've won, but you know, I, I get into that. <laughs> okay, good. Um, well, clearly then you're going around helping people get their G wagons, right? Of course. Of course. So if, if you go into the Tiki Talk, you see 
It's like, oh, and like you, this is how you get your your G wagon. Don't pay for your car. It's gonna be free. It's Have I triggered you enough? Here? That your accountant doesn't want you to know that you can write the off secret. your entire G wagon. It's a loophole, and there's right. zero chance that it's written into the tax code. Right. Uh, not making it a loophole at all. But <laughs> I'm surprised Fabian hasn't come to me with his G wagon question. I've but been too. I've been too embarrassed, actually, because I personally I have thought about it, and and here's what's funny. So, in my past life, I worked at Mercedes. I did sales and finance at Mercedes, okay. and there were people that would come in at the end of the year and say, "I need to spend this amount of money on a truck that weighs more than six thousand pounds," and they would put it through the business name. Mm-hmm. And yeah. G-Wagons were on that list of cars that they like to buy. G-Wagons exactly. are over 6,000 pounds. There is, now, there is some truth to it. But go ahead, Sam. No, you, you go on. I'm going to – I don't want to you, – you talk about the pros of it. Sure. And then – well, how about I'll, – I'll do the pros. Okay. And you can do the negatives because no one ever talks about the negatives when it comes to this. Okay. The pro is, let's say – let's use Fabian as an example. Let's say you're making $200,000 through your podcast company. We know it's more than that. But let's just use that as an example. Um, at the end of the year, you go, you know, minus expenses. My, you know, gross income is 200K. Crap, I got to pay taxes on that. It can be a large number. It can be around 40 grand in taxes. Mm-hmm. Or you can go buy the G-Wagon. And because it's over 6,000 pounds, the tax code, it's not a loophole. No one's trying to hide this from you. Uh, <laughs> allows you to fully depreciate that car. Meaning, I, I don't know what a G wagon is. Is it like 170? Depending I, on what, it, depending on the model. Yeah. Right, right? You're, you're looking at between 120 and like 250. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Let, let's just say you're trying to, let's just trying to say you're trying to pay $0 in taxes. You get the model that goes right for $200,000, whatever that is. Um, I bet it's nice. You know, um, it looks a little boxy. I don't know about the aerodynamics, but you look cool. Um, you fully depreciate that car, which typically you cannot do if it's under 6,000 pounds. You have to write it off over five years. Mm-hmm. But if it's over 6,000 pounds, technically that's supposed to be like a work truck, which mm-hmm. is the intention of that. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of gone into like get your G-Wagon, pay for it free, which it's like yes and no. You're not paying any taxes, but you're still paying um, the lease payments or right. whatever. Whatever your monthly, like, how much would a 200 grand G wagon run me if I got a five year loan? These people were probably grand? paying like 20, maybe you know, call it 2,500 dollars, right? If they were leasing it, okay. it was probably somewhere in the range of like 16 to 1800 dollars a month. Okay, so you're still spending like 24 to 30 a year on the car effectively. Mm-hmm. So that's the pro is like, I now have this car payment, but I didn't pay any taxes this year. Right. And and there are some benefits. And I think there are some legitimate reasons that you would buy a 6,000 pound vehicle. And if you're driving a ton for business, you know, Sam, the client we were interacting with the other day, you know, he really wants to buy a big ass truck because he is driving up to and from Wyoming. And, yep. you know, he really needs, he wants a car that he feels safe in and he's driving all of the time for his and business. He, and he actually needs it. And he actually needs it. And he's driving nearly 100% of the time in his business for business purposes. Now, let's say Fabian is just trying to live his bougie lifestyle with his G-Wagon. And let's say it's not all business. Right. Is that, how, how, can you get in trouble there? Oh, absolutely. What are the ramifications? Okay. What, what happens if you go out and get this business car 
that you're just riding around Zionsville. Yeah. I mean, and I see that a lot too. And I will say the only audits that I have had in the last four years have been vehicle audits, looking at the mileage on vehicles. We have your attention, Fabian. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that I personally have seen with my clients is they want to see documentation that vehicles are being used in their businesses correctly. And so that's the, you know, that's the alternative. If you are not actually using your vehicle 100% for business, you're not going to get that 100% deduction of the vehicle in the year that you're using it. It just, it doesn't work that way. And it's, that's a super aggressive stance. I mean, alternatively, when you go to sell the car, if you have written off that entire amount, then when you go to sell the car, you're going to pick that back up as taxable income in the actual, when you sell it too. So there's that trade off. Exactly. So, so what ends up, what ends up happening there is you have the $200,000 car, you've, mm -hmm. you've depreciated it down to zero, but the value is not zero. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it does lose its a little bit of value as you drive it off the lot, but let's mm -hmm. say Fabian, give me a guess for what a three-year-old G wagon goes for 120. I mean, Something these like days you can't give an accurate number because the car industry is completely what? upside down. Just, just uh, give me but a if guess. it was Come a two hundred, if it was a two hundred thousand dollar car, in three years from now you're trying to sell it back, it would probably be worth half. Yeah. Okay, half. Yeah. All right, so we go to sell it back in half, Haley. Now, what happens to my taxes? Now you have to pick that up as income. Theoretically, you're probably trading that in as another car. But you're probably underwater on the loan if you took out a loan on it. You're still paying off that loan. You're building that loan into a new loan. I don't know. The, the cash flow doesn't work on that. And it doesn't make any sense. And it just so, gets people in these big issues where they're underwater on their loan. They keep trying to buy cars to write off more taxes. And it's not. It's just a bad financial situation. Exactly. So, like, in year one, it's great to get the G-Wagon. But in, like, year five? Yeah. Are three typically we see people do it at three years, and my question is always, do you need the new car? Because you're going to still be spending forty thousand dollars in car payments for a depreciating asset when you could just pay your taxes and move on. It's a great one year trick, yeah. But down the road, people keep trying to use the trick, and it it really unpacks on them for sure. And a lot of times, it doesn't necessarily for tax purposes make sense to take a 100% write off on your vehicle. And even, you know, in 2023, it's dropping down for, and it's not even section 179. Everybody else, everybody uses section 179. That's not what we use anymore. It's called bonus depreciation, which is a totally different code section of the internal revenue code. Driving we're going to lose stuff. Fabian. We're quoting, we're quoting tax code. <laughs> <laughs> Driving me crazy. But anyway. <laughs> we hate ourselves too when we say it, Fabian. Don't worry. <laughs> Not, I mean, Section 179 can be used. It's totally different, though. But for bonus yeah. depreciation, the rules are changing slightly. But that being said, you know, sometimes it doesn't make all the sense in the world to just write off this giant asset. If it is a $150,000 G-Wagon, writing that off right in the first year, dropping your income down to zero, that may not make a ton of sense when the tax, when the tax rates are as low as they are. There is some strategy totally that can be utilized there with, you know, using the bonus depreciation or electing out and taking that depreciation over the five years of the asset, you know, and using that to bring down your income and to bring you down into a lower tax bracket to take advantage of some of those lower rates. Um, you know, cause rates are scheduled to go back up in 2026. And so it's just, you know, it's kind All of because a, of Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's no, just, it's all Biden. But it all expired. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's coming up and who knows what's going to happen. So exactly. 
So that's why you want a proactive CPA yeah. like yourself to help you weigh the pros and cons right. of, of, of just that one strategy right there. And, you know, the TikToks are usually 60 seconds and we just spent five to six minutes on the nuances of just that yeah. one big thing you see all the time that people always ask about. Absolutely. And like I said, it's, you know, it's all about, again, just not being egregious with with buying these things and taking advantage of them in businesses and just actually having a legit purpose and then keeping track and documenting that business purpose. I think that's going to be my theme of all of today, basically. <laughs> it looks like you have a question, Fabian. Well, I mean, so in, in this scenario, let's say you're using it for mixed personal and business mm-hmm. use. If that were to be allowed, is there a kind of prorated amount that you get? So you actually, so yeah. how, how does that work? I usually ask for mileage. You know, a lot of my clients, I don't know how accurately they're, a lot of my clients have an app and then they can just give me the mileage that way. And um, if it's over 50% business use, that's the threshold we really want to be looking at. You know, if it's over 50% business use, then we can start looking at taking a prorated portion of the asset for depreciation purposes and taking that expense. And then that makes sense. And the, Or, you know, we can take the full amount and then after every year thereafter, we'll start picking up income for the amount that you're using personally. That's the strategy that we typically take is we'll assume it was a fully used business asset, but then you will be picking up income for any personal use on that asset every year thereafter until you get rid of it, basically. And so we'll be continuing to ask that. So there's a couple different ways to go about it. You can have a large benefit as a result of it, but you're not going to get out of only using it or using it personally, too. Got it. I think the next one is very near and dear to Fabian's heart. Because he has the cutest little boy named Crew, and I would I would hire him. He should be he should be the mascot <laughs> of this show. Um, but I think the second thing after the car is you got your own business. Hire your kids. Hang your kids. You know, as soon as that baby is born, put them on payroll. You know, because there there is it's true that if you pay your kid below the standard deduction, mm-hmm. which I don't have that tattooed on me. What is that this year? 12? I think it's 12.9. I should also 12, have that. Nine. I think it's 12.9. Yeah. So 12, if you pay them, let's just say $12,000, then your child can take the standard deduction, meaning they don't pay any tax on that income you're paying to them. And then they have earned income. Mm-hmm. So you can take that and put it into a Roth IRA for 6500 And then if you do that, like the moment before they're born until 18, you can have a great little nest egg for them. Um, already built up and a Roth IRA is great because the money grows tax-free and when you take it out, it's tax-free as well. Um, how much, Haley, do you hate this? Oh my gosh. Because crew is really cute. Wait, I'm this, not sure. what, what you were saying just now wasn't like all true, like I can go do this right now? Technically. <laughs> can, can, you b- could. Before we have Haley answer, can I just read you oh, what yeah, I yeah, sent yeah. you? Yeah, uh, because I I come a lot ac- across a lot of great advice and I'm like, man, if only Sam was this good, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> Just kidding. Um, so it's from somebody called Budget Dog and he's a oh. CPA and he's got a verified check. I hate and, I hate his Instagram. And, oh wait, do you know this person, Budget Dog? I, I went I went why well, was like, what the what the hell is Fabian sending me? I went and looked at it. It's all this like CPA hustle gram crap when it's really just like really Okay. 
It's fine. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading from, from the Instagram post here, and it yeah. says, okay. Logan is turning two. By the time she's 18, she'll have $337,052 without lifting a finger. Here's every account, investment, and strategy we're using for her. 529 plan. We contribute $250 a month. We've been doing this since the day she was born. When Logan turns 18, she'll have the option of using this for college, or she can invest the funds into a Roth IRA if she doesn't go. Parent taxable brokerage. We contribute $250 a month. Even though this isn't tax advantaged at all, it is the most flexible. As she gets older, we'll bump this up to $500 when she maxes out her salary. Custodial Roth IRA. We don't contribute much yet, but this is on the way for her like a traditional Roth IRA. Custodial accounts share all the same limitations and benefits. As her baby modeling salary increases, so will her contributions here up to $6,500 a year. This is where it starts to get kind of interesting. Baby modeling salary. Under the Budget Dog LLC, we pay her to be a baby model. Real stories and any other way we can incorporate her. We do pay her a fair share in quotes. $50 an hour is standard for baby models, and we want to get her paid as much as possible. Equity in Budget Dog. As Budget Dog LLC continues to grow, she will get a small equity stake. Seeing how a business is ran will improve her financial literacy, improve her emotional awareness, treat finances like a business. This will help her 10x more than any of her contributions. And the game plan here says, if we stick to this game plan on the low end, she'll have multiple six figures invested by the time she's 18. On the high end, she could be at half a million dollars. That's still crazy to think about. So So, uh, what in that is true? What is kind of a myth? What is being fudged around there? So the 529, 100%, like you mm-hmm. contribute to that. that that's, a, that's good advice. Absolutely. The issue is the grayness around, you can't just contribute that into a Roth IRA willy-nilly. There's rules around taking 529 unused oh. funds and putting it into a Roth IRA. Um, you run into the earned income limits and their own contributions on top of income limits as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like this easy thing. Like once again, like, that's a great comment to make, but there's so much gray around that one comment that they made of just like, oh, you can take the 529 and put it in Roth. Not necessarily – there's more There's more context around that. Now, I'm going to kick it over to Haley for hiring your two-year-old. Uh, now, crew could be great. He, I think he's probably cuter, the cutest little model. I mean, I would love to hire him, but – My daughter will give you a run for your money. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> She's pretty darn cute too. That being said, I'm not hiring her to model for as a for my CPA business. Um, I think I think there's some truth to it. I think really that there is an opportunity to pay your kids. There is. I have a client who has uh, they own a um, storage facility and they have five kids. They're all kind of the ages between probably nine and seventeen, and he pays them, and that makes total sense. They're out. He's documenting what they're doing. They're going through, they're sweeping the floors, they're cleaning the facility, they're picking up trash, they're doing all the things. He writes, you know, he documents exactly what they're doing, takes, you know, basically timesheets for them. And then he pays them, you know, a traditional kind of hourly wage for the work that's, you know, commensurate with what that they're doing. And then they can- Sounds like they're actually doing something. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the baby modeling is that one just killed me. I just don't know. I mean, maybe there are some industries where that can make sense. Again, it's just not about being egregious. I think there is some room for, you know, baby modeling. Sure. If you have a baby clothing business, you're going to need to probably pay a baby. 
Um, I think there's some truth to that, but I just like in every industry, you know, I don't know how that can be. You have to be able to document the business purpose that you're paying a reasonable, a reasonable wage. You know, if this is something that you would be doing regardless of if you had a kid or not, then I think in that case, it makes sense. Then there are some tax advantages, you know, depending on how your company is set up with whether you need to pay FICA, whether you need to be paying all of those payroll taxes. And then you can also contribute on, you know, once they have that earned income, then again, you can start looking at contributing into a Roth for them and taking advantage of that. Going back to it though, it's just, it's got it. You've got to be able to document the business purpose and you also have to get, you know, really keep track of timesheets. I think these types of things that are coming up, the IRS is going to look a little bit more closely at because the IRS is always going to look at related party transactions. That's just one thing that they're always going to look at and look at more strictly than any other transaction because moving money from one related party to another, there's always just, it's not an arm's length transaction. You have to figure out how you can make that happen. And so that's where it can get really tricky. But if you can document, okay, this is a standard wage. This is something I'm going to probably be needing to pay someone anyway. And then here are the hours that they're working. You know, I think that there is room to do it for sure. I'm not saying no, never, but uh, I don't know about paying a six month old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what's what so far the theme has been, you need to be doing it for proper business expenses. You yeah. need to be document them because these are strategies and things that the IRS is looking for. And it's very easy for an agent just to reach out and be like, Hey, you need to substantiate this mm-hmm. and this. And if you don't have that, oh yeah, that's when a, that's when a real audit comes like an IRS agent reaching out to you and asking you information is not an audit. Correct. That is not an audit. Yeah. And, and you do not want to go through an audit. No, very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> My fees so don't, don't change for that. <laughs> yeah. At, at, at what point does the, you know, the, um, the, the scale tip, right. From being, uh, smart, Right. And looking at your options versus taking advantage of a system and like trying to play the system. Right. Where, where does that, does that fault lie on the, the CPA potentially? Does it fall on the the client? Oh, it's definitely going to fall on the client. You know, the CPA is going to give the, give the guidance at the end of the day and say whether, what they're comfortable with. But, you know, if you hand me, you know, your tax return, you know, the information to prepare your tax return and you hand me all of the information related to your payroll, I'm not necessarily going to know whether you paid your kids or not. At the end of the day, you're the, you as a business owner are the ones that are paying the payroll taxes. You're signing the payroll tax forms. You're taking the risk on yourself. So if you do feel comfortable doing so, you know, you can go for it. Just know that if the IRS does ask, you know, for documentation and looking at it, you know, it comes down to being able to document whether it was a business purpose. So I'm not always going to know what people are doing. I'm going to try to ask questions to, to figure it out. But unless someone really tells me, I'm not going to know if you paid, you know, if Katie, Katie on your tax return or crew on your tax return is your son, or if that was just, a, you know, maybe your uh, a cousin that came to work with you. Hmm. So um, it does fall on the client, you know, themselves and kind of the risk that they're willing to take at the end of the day, though, like the CPA that's signing the tax return needs to be aware of what's going on and, and understanding the risk that they're, signing into because there are there are penalties for you know uh not filing accurate you know accuracy related penalties as well as you know taking advantage of tax laws that might be illegal nothing here is illegal it's just something's more aggressive than others for sure any questions there fabian (laughs) no 
Yeah. So your your second kid cannot hire them yet. Crew maybe. Crew maybe. Yeah. Sam's a good name. Anyways, moving on. Um, there's there's one rule that I really like that is the, it's not like gray. It's actually called the Augusta rule. And what you can do is is you can rent your primary residence for fewer than fifteen days, and you don't have to report any of the rental income. So let's say Indy five hundred. Me and you, Fabian, were like, this town sucks this these two weeks. We're going to rent our, our homes, which we, we probably could based on the amount of people are in there. And let's say we rent it for $5,000 for two weeks. We get $10,000. We would not have to report that as income mm-hmm. based on this rule. That That's not a loophole. There's nothing gray there. That's pretty cut and dry. What ends up happening, though, is what Haley sent me earlier is – Classic, I now own a business. I'm going to, my business is going to pay me to rent my home. Now, this is something you could technically do. Like, so if you did, let's say you had a mountain house or a lake house and you did a company retreat, you could pay yourself uh, in that regard for the use of your personal um, asset. But I'll kick it over to Haley where you just see people, once again, you have this rule, like, sure, you could technically hire your kids, but it's a matter of the degree and abuse of those rules that kind of gets in the gray. So you can see on TikTok, oh, rent yourself, rent your home to yourself. This is how you do it. And they don't talk about the the pros and cons beyond it. Right. And I think, again, this is another question I get asked really often is can I rent my own house for you know a shareholder retreat or shareholder meetings or you know in your case it would be great to you know in Indianapolis you know the Indy 500 something like that and the the fact is is that yes you know under the code section it's 280 cap a anyway you can do that there you go there's the tax code again yeah 280 cap a there you go (laughs) I think it's cap a g um but that being said it's Basically, if you're renting your house, it's kind of related to the business use of home and also the vacation home rules. Basically, if you're renting your house for less than two weeks, the IRS is basically saying you're not typically renting your house for a business purpose. So we're not going to make you pick up this as income. What happened, what came through in a court case recently is it was a couple of physicians who owned, I think, a Planet Fitness, and they owned it in an S corporation, and then they decided to... They were going to each hold shareholder meetings once monthly in each of their houses. So that would be, you know, 12 in one house, 12 in the other house for over the course of three years. They paid themselves $290,000 over the course of three years. They had determined that the common area of their home was the equivalent of basically renting a giant conference space at a hotel and said, oh, well, this is how much common area my house has, so we're going to charge ourselves the equivalent of that. And it ended up being $290,000 that they basically just didn't pick up as income. The IRS came back and just said, no way. Like, number one, why do you need to be renting a conference room space this large for two people to be doing a house, <laughs> to be doing a, bus- or a business meeting twice monthly for two people? Like, And then also just there was no documentation uh, for half of the meetings, over half of the meetings that they supposedly had, since they were having these twice meet twice monthly meetings, there was no documentation. And then um, the IRS also went in and said, "Okay, what's like a traditional off you know conference room space that you could use at a hotel or something like that? You know that would fit two people." And it was like 
$6,000 a year. So the IRS came through and said, okay, you took $290,000. We're going to drop that down now to a $6,000 deduction and you now need to pay it, pick up and pay tax and penalties and interest yep. on the income yep. that you did not. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. If this was, I was really excited. That this <clears throat> I do think again, that there is some room to say, like if you have a mountain house, it can hold these shareholder retreats or do something like that. That's great. Again, it comes down to don't be egregious. You know, what's kind of the current market rate for renting a house like this for a week or two weeks. What are you doing in the house for that two weeks? You know, are you just going to be going up there and skiing with your family or are you actually going to be holding like a business meeting with, you know, associates and, you know, clients or, you know, kind of whatever you're doing, you know, documenting, taking minutes, showing that this was actually a business purpose, you know, and making sure that those records are somewhere that are readily available if it was ever questioned. Um, and then again, just don't be egregious. Just, you know, don't be floppy with it. I think there's room to take advantage of this. For some people, it's not going to make sense. It just won't, you know. It, but in other cases, I think there's a way to do it. Just don't pick up $290,000 of deduction. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense. So that was that was one that just came through, I think, last week or two weeks ago. So I was pretty excited about that one. So what are you excited about? Yeah. I do have one question that's kind of a long tangential to, to sure. this. So this this can fall into the line of Fabian's burning questions. So <laughs> Haley doesn't um, know about that. Where is there and, and this is because I was just out of place today. So as a business owner, it's kind of just me. Uh does it make more is there more of an advantage to take the like home office use deduction? or reduce whatever I can by renting out like a co-working space and writing that off. How much time do you have? <laughs> and well, could I do both? You could do both. You can do both. Absolutely. I mean, if you have a space in your home that is solely dedicated to your business, you know, the IRS literally says you cannot be using it for personal use at all, which I don't know who actually is doing that's that. That's the gray there. That's like, no one's going to enforce that. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, you know, theoretically, the office needs to be used 100% for your business. So if you have that, I th- there's all, absolutely a reason for us to go ahead and take the business use of home. And there's two different ways you can do it. There's an actual method, which is looking at your actual expenses you spent on your home, taking a prorated amount of that. There's a safe harbor amount, which is just strictly based on your square footage. You know, you can look at that and take that. And then if you're paying to go to a co-working space in addition, like say you just really want to have that ability to go out and be around people or bring clients and you don't want to bring them into your house. Totally. We have clients take advantage of both all the time. And that's like, I just write it off. So basically the government pays me back. Yeah, exactly. It's a write-off. <laughs> this is going to go into you. my next thing. This is my next thing. Are we actually playing this because this is it's my next my favorite. favorite. This is perfect setup. <laughs> Where people are like, I'm just going to write it off. Now, if you're, I get this all the time is just, it's a business expense. I'm going to write it off. Now, like if you're doing a co-working space, that makes a lot of sense. And what we always advocate for is like, put your cell phone bill in your bit, in the name of your business, put your internet in the name of the business. Like if it makes sense and it's for business practice, yeah, make sure you're taking uh, advantage of expensing that. But what ends up happening is people take the next step is, well, there's a great um, Schitt's Creek 
episode where um, uh, David is just writing off all this personal expenses through the business. And he just, well, uh, what he just says, the government pays you back. But David goes and says, when you buy something for your business, the government pays you back for it. <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh, but it's exactly what you talk about. Cause it's, it's, it's where people go take the next step of, I'm just going to write everything off. And what you have to remember though, is this is a deduction. Mm-hmm. This isn't a credit right. for your taxes. Very, very different. So credit is a one for one dollar, um, for, for you, mm-hmm. um, towards your taxes. So if I get a $1 credit, it is a $1 deduction in my tax bill. A deduction is not that. A deduction is uh, lowering your tax bill effectively, mm-hmm. whatever your fe- effective rate is. So like, let's say my effective rate is 20%. If I go and spend $1,000 and write it off, because it's an, this product bag or whatever is business expense, I'm not lowering my tax bill by $1,000. I'm spending $1,000 to lower my tax bill by my effective tax rate, which is, let's say it's 20%. So I'm spending $1,000 to not spend $200 in taxes. So really, you're still spending $800. That's my rant. Haley, would you like to- So you're getting a 20% <laughs> discount on a on a bag? Oh. That sounds nice. Are you kidding me? You can't even, not just a, no. Don't don't do that. That's that's all I heard. That's all I heard. I got a twenty percent discount. Get a product bag for a thousand bucks. Please just show me where I can find that. Anyway, (laughs) I don't. I don't know what these things cost. I'm a simple man. No, you're you're spot on, and it's so. That's one of the most commonly answered questions that I get too. Is wait a minute? Okay, so this is a deduction, not a credit. So I'm not getting a dollar for dollar, and and it's no. I mean. There are credits out there. You know, there's the electric vehicle credits that are, you know, have changed significantly in, within the last couple of years. Those are dollar for dollar reductions in tax. But that being said, you know, sometimes those don't always make sense or deductions won't make sense. If you're in a 12%, you know, tax bracket, sometimes it's not going to make sense for you to go out and spend another $20,000 to get these deductions. Again, you're only going to save 12% of, you know, $20,000 in deductions. It just the math doesn't always make sense if you don't need to spend the cash. I don't know. I don't tell, I try not to tell any of my clients to do anything for tax purposes because some, exactly. the, the math isn't always going to make sense. You know, cash flow purposes, if you're going to go out and, and take out a bunch of debt to just go out and have a bunch of expenses, you know, then you're going to be paying on debt and you're not bringing, you know, the income isn't there and you're in a low tax bracket. There's just so many different ways that are, you know, things that are going on there. Um, but yeah, and, exactly. And and there's the rule that it can't be general purpose. It has to be for the business. Yeah. Now, like, how would the IRS substantiate that? That's like the gray area in the tax law where people do take advantage of that and put, mm-hmm. put things into their business. But you're still spending money. Right. And then if the IRS, if you're not documenting, you're not proving it's a business expense. Right. Very easy for the IRS to be like, hey, can you just show me the receipts on these? Mm-hmm. And you're going to go, uh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then you get the interest, the penalties, the taxes. Yeah. It's not yeah. good. It's got to be ordinary and necessary for the business. You know, you've got to be able to substantiate that it was a business asset, you know, buying, you know, getting your nails done and trying to call it a business expense. It's not going to work. That's a personal, personal yeah. object, you know, personal thing, you know, going out and buying a new outfit. It's not going to work. You know, Sam, you brought yeah. up the one recently where if you get your suit monogrammed with your initials and it's considered a business, you know, uniform. No, it doesn't work like that. Oh, I got to call my CPA. <laughs> Oh no, there is, there is, um, 
this is funny. And we're 30 minutes in, so we probably uh, lost everybody. But to bring this up, there is one rare court case where a taxpayer came out top proving that the deduction was for business. You probably saw this in the note for general principle. In 1994, case Hess versus the commissioner, that would be the IRS, the petitioner was an exotic dancer who got very large breast implants for professional branding purposes. This is a kid-friendly show, Sam. But I, hey, I'm just saying there are exceptions to the rules. And, you know, we don't know your situation. Maybe it made sense to deduct those. But, you know, uh, there's, there's the exceptions to all these rules to keep in mind. You know, um, there's always an exception to the rule. I don't know that I try to make my clients be those exceptions, though. No, I don't know about that. Yeah. Oh, um, that's what I had for our research today. This is where we, unless Haley, you have a burning soapbox monologue about taxes. No, just, you know, again, just don't be egregious. I'm fine with being aggressive. And, you know, accountants, are, we're not the bad guys. I am not sitting with the IRS trying to make you pay more in tax. That is not my job. My job is definitely not to do that. Um, I feel like that's the the thing with TikTok is it always makes us accountants sound like we're just the bad guys and we don't want to tell you these. They didn't tell you about this. Yeah, no, I want it. I want you to not pay tax. Like I don't like telling my clients that they owe a ton of tax. That's the worst day when I have to do that. Um, We're not the bad guys. We're trying to help. If you see something that you think you might work, that might work in your business, just come and talk to your CPA and try to work through the details and see if there's a way that it can make sense. That's all I have to say. And this is where we get to turn it back over to Fabian. What burning questions do you have today? Have you already hired crew? <laughs> no, but I will be. <laughs> Baby modeling, here we come. No, you, you answered my burning question that, that came to mind about <clears throat> co-working space and kind of using that in conjunction with home office use. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, definitely taking really? advantage of home offices. I think that's the one, you know, everybody needs to be taking advantage right. of if they can. I'm checking my text. I swear you had another burning question. All right, Fabian, I found your burning question. What is a Fitch downgrade? Oh, yes. I did ask this question. What is a Fitch downgrade? Haley, do you know what this is? No. <laughs> okay. So kind of like for um, for your credit report, you know, there's three agencies, right? There's yeah. um, Experian. Oh, I'm blanking another two. Trans. 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 TransUnion, there's three, whatever, there's three. Um, Equifax. It comes, Equifax. There it is, yeah. Yep. And th- something similar when it comes to corporate bonds is rating agencies. So there's S&P, there's Moody's, and there's Fitch. So there's three. And they get paid a, a nominal amount to rate the bonds. So um, the safest is AAA, and it kind of goes down to single A, and then triple B and then C's are kind of junky and they're, they're higher interest rates for the, the more riskier the bonds are. Um, U.S. government is the biggest debt market in the world. Big, you know, good thing or bad thing. It's the biggest. Um, it's the most liquid and it's technically the safest. The U.S. has never defaulted on its debt um, so far. <laughs> um and our rating agency by the by the three um, uh, credit agencies is AAA. It's the best, you know, woohoo! But um, back in 2011, we got a ratings downgrade from I think it was uh, Moody's. And I don't know why they do this because if 
U.S. government is not AAA debt, then like all of finance is like based on U.S. debt being like completely risk free. You'll never lose your money. You might lose to inflation, but you'll never lose principal on it. So if U.S. government is not AAA, then we're kind of all screwed. Um, and there was a downgrade in, tw- in 2011. And actually, you would think if so, if that if our debt is riskier, the yield would go up. It actually went down. Um, so the opposite happened to what you thought. Um, and then about two weeks ago, for whatever reason, Fitch came out and downgraded U.S. debt from AAA to AA. Um, it doesn't really impact anything. It doesn't change anything. It's just kind of like us like boring finance people kind of look over at Fitch and like, yeah, we get it. The U.S. debt's growing like at an unsustainable amount. But like, what are you, what are you smoking over there? What, what else is like AAA? You know, there's like 10 other countries and the U.S. is like way better than all of them that are AAA. So it's like, all right. They're AAA. How's U.S. not AAA? What do you, who cares? What are you doing over there? Is my take on it. So. Interesting. And and what I mean does other than just in name only saying that we went from AAA to AA does that impact anything? Not really. Not really. No. So it, it can impact things for like actual corporate bonds. So if you have um, there's a lot of like investment. Uh, guidelines that like you can't own a high yield bond. So high yield, high yield bond is triple C and uh, that's off the top of my head. I think that's right. But like um, some trust companies can't own high yield debt. So if a company gets downgraded from B to triple C, they'd have to sell it and things like that. So like rating, uh, rating agencies are good for that. Um, especially when it comes to like muni bonds and things like that, you just, sometimes you can't own certain um, debt. And it's really important because like if you, if you're a company, you want the highest rating possible because that means your debt is safer and you'll pay less on your debt. So from like a normal finance, it, it matters. But like when it comes to U.S. government, it doesn't matter if it's like double A AA or triple A. And how soon until it goes back up? I don't know. That's it's a good question. All, it's all probably already back up. Uh, probably. I don't know. <laughs> They're not going to like drop it and then put it back up. Uh, I'm trying Stupider to that things have happened. It's true. It's true. No, um, I'm trying to Google it now. I'm not going to find it. But uh, that's all we that's all we have for, for today. Haley, thank you yeah, for, for joining. If you need a great proactive CPA and you've made it through 40 minutes of this and you're like, oh my gosh, my CPA hasn't told me any of these loopholes, I'd recommend reaching out to Haley. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> yeah. And from there, appreciate you listening. Rate and come up with your other business uh, expense questions. Maybe we'll answer them next time around. Bye.